Let me um, recap yesterday, since I know that some of you weren't here. I'll try this as briefly as possible. We said yesterday was, despite many and diverse Christian voices and other voices in our culture who uh, scream to the contrary, God causes suffering. God brings about suffering. You know, as Jack Deere said yesterday, who talked about the suicide of his son, and we're going to watch a little more of him today, I do not believe that God is a secondary cause of my son's suicide, but he is a primary cause of all things. God doesn't seem to... Paul and Jesus and God don't seem to have any interest in absolving God of all the suffering in the world, so we shouldn't either. And the reason I say that God causes suffering are two reasons. One, it's biblical. You know, read the Bible about all the suffering that God works and, and sort of how Paul interprets that, how Jesus interprets that, how Jeremiah interprets that, and, and, and Isaiah. And two, because it's actually, it's, it's, sound, it's counterintuitive, as many things in the gospel are, but it's actually good news that God is active and present in the midst of our suffering. Because the alternative is that it's, you know, our fault. Or that God is powerless. And when you're actually suffering, you don't need a powerless, absent God. You need a powerful active, loving God. A God who um, is on your side in all things, including the bad things that happen. And uh, I was kind of expecting more objections. I feel like people were mainly vibing with me yesterday. Um, there was one person who said something sort of that I hadn't really considered, which, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not God, and maybe it's not us, maybe it's the devil. Because we do actually believe in the devil, you know? I thought about that for a while, and we talked for a while, and then it kind of hit me um, that the devil is not in the business of um, bringing pain into our lives, and that's secondary, but his primary objective is to destroy faith. That's what he wants to do, right? He wants to destroy faith, and honestly, usually the best word, the best way to destroy faith is to give someone sort of everything they want, you know? Uh, so, it may, obviously in Job, you know, uh, God sort of gives the devil permission to come down and, and do it. And, but, you know, Job doesn't blame the devil. Jesus doesn't blame the devil. Paul doesn't blame the devil. They all blame God. Um, and so I think, I think we can say, to the degree that suffering leads to some fruits, which I think it often does, it might, not be, from, it might, it might be from God. It might not be from the devil. Um, so today... I talked about suffering yesterday, and that we all suffer. Today I'm going to talk about the sort of why question. Or maybe not quite the why question, but at least the what question. What is it that suffering actually does in our lives? Um, and as I said yesterday, this, this may be a huge mistake. I just need the biggest little mistake in my life. For those of you, is the movie coming out for real? Or what's happening? Maybe? I hope so. Arrested Development, I'm sorry. A man named Gob. Um... It may be a huge mistake uh, for two reasons. One, it is kind of ultimately an unanswerable question. You know, maybe kind of in retrospect you can look back and say, oh, that's why that happened. Maybe, way after the fact. But, you know, it's, will we ever really know until we get to the other side? You know, and the, um, the tangledness of our life is flipped over and we see the um, tapestry that God has woven. And we could only see the other side. And the second thing, which is more important, I think, is that it's pastorally dangerous. You know, um, you never sort of want to come up to someone and say, you know, let me tell you why you're suffering, or why this is really better for you, 
Or to even think that about yourself, you know, what is, you know, what is it that I need to learn so I can stop suffering? That's not helpful at all. Um, but that being said, Paul does say some things that I want to look at and, and think about. And I'm really hoping that it will be a source of, of good news and that it won't be um, a source of judgment for you or the people that you come to contact with. So we're going to watch another uh, sort of Jack Deere clip. Sorry to be kind of Jack Deere heavy, but I feel like the guy's got some stuff to say, you know. And I want to disavow anything he's ever written except for this because I've never read any of his books. I don't really know anything about him. I just went to this comment, I saw him talk, and I was like, <laughs> and I wept bitterly. Um, but they were cathartic tears. So um, let's watch this next clip, and then we'll talk about it. Because he says some things that are pertinent. Um, and just for those of you, again, who weren't here yesterday, Jack Deere, uh, author, theologian, pastor, um, has a son who struggles with, with substance abuse. Uh, he finally sort of decides to welcome him home as a prodigal father, as the son, as the, uh, the father does with the prodigal son. And um, give him a truck. He had, he had some. He had made some money in the stock market, and he bought him a truck. He got him an apartment. He did. He just showered love on him. Took him out hunting every day because he sort of was an author and had the time to do that. And then um, the day after Christmas, he found his son in his room, um, having shot himself uh, with his father's gun. And where we ended up last time was was Jack Deere saying again, um, you know, when it, when God takes everything away from Job, Job doesn't say. You know, the Chaldeans did this, or the devil did this, but know that um, the Lord has given, the Lord taken away, has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And really laying at God's feet what had happened, and not trying to sort of uh, absolve him or say it was someone else's fault. So now he's going to sort of talk about the aftermath of that. We were in utter confusion. Morning after we all stopped, I woke, I woke up. And the hotel room, we just spent the night in the house of four staying in one hotel room. And I started my morning prayer, I prayed for years, it goes like this, I'll protect this small spiritual disappointment. Those are the opening lines of it. I woke up that next morning and I said, Father, and I just choked on the word protection. Well, I prayed that prayer. When my son kills himself in my house, I'm like, that prayer's obsolete now. 
so a few things. Um, one, it, it uh, does make me a little bit nervous to, to show that clip, um, to talk about uh, DUIs and bankruptcy and uh, children's suicide, and because there's some of us who experience things like that. There are. There's probably you know more, more than we want to admit. But then there's a lot of us who you know um, it might be easy to look on someone else who's suffering um, and, and somehow begin to minimize our own suffering. And so what I want to make sure of is that it, this, you know, seeing that doesn't become about someone else. That stays about you, about your suffering, about what's going on in your life. Because there are things going on in your life. You know, you may be desperately lonely. School may be really difficult. Um, you may be out of work or you hate your job or I don't know what it is for you. But there is a place of suffering in your life. And, and uh, don't minimize it. Because if, if he's right... That's what God is. That's what God is working. So again, um, like I said before, it's dangerous to talk about the why. It's pastorally dangerous. That the worst thing you could ever say to someone who's suffering is that you know it's for the best. You know that God is at work. You know, what did he say? It's, it's really a severe mercy that your son died. Now that may, you know, it may actually, that may be true. It may be true, but it's not helpful it's not loving. And, and let me say, you know, I've done that. I'm sure we've all done that. Um, my brother is here today, and uh, he doesn't look anything like you. Probably a different father's. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, I remember a couple Thanksgivings ago, he was in a pretty dark place. Uh, and it was just, you know, small children who were really difficult. Uh, you, know, you know, if you think you know anything about anything, just wait till you have children. Um, and you, fact, you find out how little sleep you can go with and how you can't actually control anything. But he was really suffering. And I, we took a long walk after Thanksgiving, sort of, you know, on the, on the Upper East Side. And, um, and I just spent a lot of time talking to him about how God was really working in that. And I felt pretty good about myself afterwards. That was a terrible idea. And so, uh, Patrick, wherever you are, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was awful. So then what do we do? What do we do? How do we deal with someone who's suffering? If we, can't, if we can't talk to them, if we can't fix it, if we can't, what do we do? Well, has anyone seen Lars and the Wheel Girl with Ryan Gosling? You know, now I'm getting a little more, you know, mocking Forget the Bruce Almighty. Here's a movie you've never seen. Um, but anyway, there's a, a movie called Lars and the Wheel Girl with Ryan Gosling, which is incredible. It's about a man who's in love with a blow-up doll. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous. But it's actually about how this um, town he lives in, somewhere in the Midwest, um, loves him enough to not treat him like he's crazy. And towards the end of the movie, there's a tragedy, and he's in the midst of pain, and uh, he's upstairs in his room in his house, and he comes downstairs to find uh, these three little old ladies sitting on the couch, knitting. And he says, what are you doing here? And they just sort of say, you know, we're here to help, and this is what we do. We sit, and we knit, and we bring casseroles. You know, and that's what you do when someone is suffering. You show up, you stick around, you stay silent, and you listen. You know, uh, the, the guys, Job's friends who come to counsel in the midst of his grief, they do, they start off really well, because they come and they tear their clothes and they sit in sackcloth and ashes and they just sit with him, which is exactly the right thing to do. And then they open their mouths and start to tell him why this has happened, and that's, then it just is a disaster. So sit, be quiet, stay, and listen. And the reason we can do that is because we 
if we really believe that God is working in the midst of suffering, then we don't have, you know, we don't have to do anything. We just need to um, hold the hand of the person as they give birth to whatever it is that God is doing in their life. Remember what you two, uh, Bono sings that song, Yahweh, from the end of um, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Uh, always, always pain before the child is born. Always pain before the child is born. And he asks, you know, why, why, why? But it's just true. So we can sort of, we can midwife um, the process of whatever God is doing and know that he is doing something that we don't have to fix it or give answers or advice or relate. You know, like, I remember when something like that happened to me. No, you don't. I mean, who cares? Um, it doesn't matter. So, again, um, why? Or again, maybe not why, but what? What, what happens when we suffer? Uh, well, two things that happen, I think, are uh, wisdom and compassion. Wisdom and compassion. And I think those are two signs of the same coin. Uh, can we put up that Aeschylus quote? Unless you think that I have ever read Greek drama, I came across this in the X-Files. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, he's not Christian. He's, he's pre-Christian. But look what he writes. Even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the hearts until in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. <laughs> Sorry. That's heavy. Um, but that's true. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I noticed this pretty early on in my sort of ministry career, or even before I was in ministry, that every pastor that I really respected, that was really doing amazing work, that I really trusted, that I really wanted to be around, had gone through some awful stuff. Some terrible stuff. And it was just kind of like, you know, when, when's the shoe going to drop type of thing. Um, but it's true that the safest, wisest people in the world are those that have suffered. You know, if, if God forbid anything as awful as what happened to Jack Deere ever happens to me, he'll be the first person I call. It's not going to be, you know, the person who sort of has a theology about suffering. That probably includes, you know, something about our free will. It'll be someone who's lived in the cave. And you know people like that. Like those are the people you go to talk to when the chips are down. Uh, you know, another example of this is uh, Conan O'Brien. You know, how many of you have seen his uh, graduation speech at Dartmouth like three years ago? It is unbelievable. It's like perfect. It's a perfect sermon. You know, fifteen minutes of comedy and five minutes that'll make you cry. Um, but he talks about the death of his dreams. You know, in, in the wake of sort of the, the Tonight Show fiasco. Um, how uh, you know, he's so he's so funny. You know, they, they say, what does he say? They say that what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. What they neglect to mention is that it almost kills you. Um, but uh, he, it's just amazing, and he's so transparent and wise and compassionate, and he talks about, uh, you know, he actually, afterwards, on you know, TBS afterwards, um, you know, he was, he still the beard, remember the red beard? Someone was like, well, you know, give a beard. And Cohen's like, yeah, you know, it started as a, as a depression beard. Um, and then I just didn't shave it for a while. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's never happened on late night comedy, late night comedy before. You know, talking about his own depression beard. Um, but what he also talks about, and this is um, what I really want to go to, and the last thing I'm going to talk about, it won't be too long, um, is he says, you know, uh, I, I was sitting at home and I was totally depressed. And I didn't know what to do, and I lost everything. After making it to the pinnacle, right? He he he, he achieved his 
dream. I achieved my dream. I went to New York City and planted a church and got my kids in miraculous, not got, God got my kids in this amazing private school and made this wonderful life. You know, you achieve your dream and then you totally lose it and it's awful. But he said, you know, he's, uh, he's like, I, you know, I was fumbling around and I started to write again. Just for myself. And through that, he says, he rediscovered his first love. You know, he rediscovered the joy of sort of comedy for its own sake and not in the service of some dream, some earthly dream. And that led to uh, the tour that he did. Did anyone see that? I didn't see that. I heard it was, I heard it was good. Did the tour, TBS, Freedom, Wisdom. It's amazing. It's amazing um, what happened in his life. And yet, you know, he's still on TBS. You know, he's still on TBS. It's not like, you know, God sort of restored all things to him. Um... So what Conan was really talking about when he talked about that process by which he came back to comedy was the freeing power of suffering. It was freedom through suffering. Freedom. And if you remember yesterday, uh, can you put up the next um, quote? My two sort of theme verses for this talk. This is what we did yesterday. For the creation was subjected to frustration. This is Paul speaking in Romans. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Metoyates, frustration, futility, worthlessness, uselessness, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. God has subjected the creation to futility, to frustration. But then he goes on and he says, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. It's not a pointless frustration. It's not a pointless futility. Suffering creates freedom. How? Well, in my own life, I can, you know, as I said yesterday, we were in New York, kind of living the dream, also kind of massively depressed and almost, you know, going bankrupt and um, fighting so hard to stay. Fight, 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 anger, tears, you know, uh, bargaining, self-doubt, uh, alcohol, um, fighting, fighting. Um, to hold on to, you know, Buckley and New York City and our life and, and uh, you know, this perceived future we had for our boys and everything. Uh, and then we took a job in Houston, kind of out of desperation. For 24 hours, you know, we, uh, we went out to dinner because we were going to announce to our kids the good news that we'd just taken the job, and I started to tell them, and I had to walk out and go on a two-hour walk because I would have just started weeping in front of them. And by the way, when we told them, um, which we sort of thought might be bad, and we tried to spin it really well, like, our, you know, Daddy's been offered an amazing job at the biggest Episcopal church in the country. Isn't that exciting? They screamed and wept and yelled um, for like three or four hours. My 10 and 7 boys. That was pretty awesome. Um, and they still, you know, about once a month, they'll get really tired one night and they'll start to think about their friends. It's getting better, but it's, you know, we're doing, Jamie and I are doing well. The boys are struggling. But I will say, um, all that being said, once we got, we've been to Houston about three days. And uh, we were staying, you know, we were in this kitchen of these people who were away on vacation and had let us um, house sit there. And my wife looked at me and she said, Thank God we're here. Thank God we're here. 
or happy. And isn't that the way that it always is? You know, that you can't, you can't fall in love until you let go of your expectations of, of the kind of person that you're going to fall in love with. You, know, you can't sort of uh, be happy in your job until you, you know, uh, die or detach or deattach or whatever, whatever you think you want your job to be. You know, Conan couldn't start to write comedy again until he, uh, you know, f- forgot about his dream of writing comedy. And, um, you know, Matthew Sittman couldn't be a college professor until he acknowledged that he his inability to be a college professor. You know, and on and on and on. That's the way it always is. Because the truth about us, as Paul says, is that we are bound to decay. We are enslaved to decay. I mean, what did Paul Saul just talk about? Um, how everything you own is going to be sold to your children. And yet you love it. You know, I'm ba- I like that car. You know, it's probably going to rust out in Houston, which would be awesome. Um, but we are, we're, we're bound, we are bound, we're, we're enslaved to decay. We're in bondage to decay. And I think suffering, suffering is the only way that we uh, are able to let go of what we think will make us happy and begin to just trust God. Because you actually, have, no one has any idea what's actually going to make them happy. You know, again, if you're married, chances are you married kind of the opposite of what you thought you wanted when you were single. Just about everyone I know that happened to. You know, with me, it happened with me. You know, my wife, I remember we were in, you know, my hometown in Canaan, Connecticut, and she was picking me up from some, like, open gym basketball game when we were dating, and I was wearing, like, a sweatshirt or something. And she looks at me, and she's like, at this exact moment, you are the perfect opposite of anyone I thought I would be with. Because before me, she, you know... Uh, she lived with a punk, like a, she lived with a, she was, we were 20, she lived with a, uh, like, 35-year-old punk rock for three years. Like a depressed Russian. <laughs> Graphic artist. I'm not kidding. It's pretty hilarious. So the fact that I was such a, you know, freaking yuppie um, was a serious, was a massive death for her, which she endured graciously and gracefully. Um, but again, the only way, you know, uh, Paul talked about detaching or deattaching and, and some strategies for that. I'm convinced the only way we ever detach from ever anything is through suffering. You know, this, this talk was originally supposed to be called um, From My Cold Dead Hand. We thought that was a little bleak. Um, <laughs> so we changed it. So we changed it to, um, you know, I'm not here to rob you. I'm here to, uh, to save you. You know, that when Gandalf comes in and Frodo's just holding on to that ring and Gandalf wants it and, and Frodo's fighting, I'm not here to rob you, I'm here to help you. That's what he says. And, and what God says to us, what he, what he wants for us, what he's, not just what he wants, but what he's doing, because God's going to do what he wants to do. He's God. God is setting us free. He is liberating us from our bondage to decay. But the only way that that ever happens, the only way that detachment or deattachment or freedom or the only way we ever sort of let go of the things that are decaying and cling to the only one who is eternal, that only ever happens through suffering. You can't choose to do it. You won't choose to do it. And the reason, it's because what we're talking about is the death of the part of yourself that wants to be God and thinks it is God. And that is deep and and old. That goes right back to the beginning. Right? Eat this fruit and you will be like God. And that's what we want. We don't want to trust God. We want to be in charge. 
We want to make plans. We want to know. We don't want to live day by day. We want, you know, to, to have our hopes and dreams and have it work out the way that we want it to work out. But that is bondage. That is slavery to decay, to earthly things. Luther talks about there being two deaths. The second death is our physical death, and he said that's nothing. That's no, not a big deal. Um, I don't know if he felt that way when it actually happened to him, but that's what he said. Um, but he said the first death, which is the real death, is the death we die uh, to our desire to be God. The death of control. The death of, of I'm going to make it happen. I know it will make me happy. Um, things should be the way that I want them to be. The old Adam. The part that is at, is at war with God. And any time that you cry out in the midst of your suffering, and you know, you're at war with God, and that's okay. I mean, that's David's at war with God. You know, everyone's at war with, but that's, that's what it is. It's the old Adam crying out. So suffering produces freedom. Okay, last thing. I want to play you a song. Um, this is a song, uh, Jane, my wife and I, six months ago, were sitting in front of a farmer on Irving Street near Gramercy Park, and it was really bad. And then this song came on, which I'd never heard before from an artist I had never heard of before. Has anyone ever heard of Pete Droke? Exactly. Okay, Dave has, of course. Um, thanks, Dave. So smug. Um, uh, anyway. <laughs> it's amazing. If you, if you go on iTunes and read about Pete Drogue, the, the, it's, a, it's a long uh, thing. And it literally says, you know, there's a lot of artists that people call promising. But when someone like Pete Drogue has uh, been around for so long and, fulfilled to fulfill, and failed to fulfill any of that promise, the, la the label no longer applies. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, it was brutal. Um, but this song is amazing, it was, and it was like the voice of God speaking to me in the midst of my war for control. Can we play that?
verge of losing it every time I hear that song. Um, let it go. It will get easier. Let it go. Just enjoy the ride. Going whichever way the wind blows. Sorry, I'm not trying to happy now, but it's still, you know, it's, it's so hard to let go of control and trust and believe. But how do you do that? You can't. Um, and yet, what's so um, sweet about it is that's all, that's, all I, that's all you want. That's all I want. That kind of freedom, you know? Just let it go. God knows what he's doing. And I say I believe that, but you know, I'm not sure that I do. Because we spend so much of our life um, living, you know, in our hopes, our dreams, uh, the future, the past, um, and wondering where God is. But you know where God is? He's here, here, right now, in the present, like right here, right now. Not in some future hopeful state, or not in the um, writing of something wrong, or he didn't abandon you when things took a bad turn. He's right here. Like, you know, feel the wood of your chair, take a deep breath. This is where he is, and this is where he always is. He's in the cave with us. We're in the cave. Um, a lot of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, in the valley of the shadow of death. And he is right here with us. And he wants to, yeah, he, he wants us to be free. Um, so I'm, I'm deeply thankful for that. Um, I hope I don't listen to that song too much and kill it. I listen to that once every you know, few months, <laughs> and then I just cry again. Um, so I think that's... Uh, let it go. Just enjoy the ride. Going whichever way the wind blows. That's what Jesus says, right? Where the Spirit comes from and where it was going, no one knows. So it is with every more of the Spirit. Your life is going to be completely unpredictable. It's going to be full of um, suffering. It's going to be full of joy. Um, but God is there. And he's bringing, he, he knows what he's doing and he, will, he is faithful to the end. Let's just pray for a second. Lord, give us grace to live in the present, please. Um, it's such a scary thing to do, and that you remind us, um, you know, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life. Today is where you are. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for your goodness and your graciousness to us, and your love for us, even in the midst of our suffering. And maybe even especially in the midst of our suffering. We pray all these things on in the precious name of your Son and our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Whoops. RJ, will you stay up here?